Now, I love that song. If you understand what that means, it's a beautiful image. And uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament idea of a bride waiting for the groom. There's a story of whenever someone, whenever a gentleman would present himself to the father and say, hey, I want to I marry your daughter, they would, he would have to pay the bride price. And they would seal that covenant. And man, that's a whole other message. But this idea of literally the son then going back to his own father's house and preparing a room on the family's house and would be waiting and preparing and, and doing all this different stuff. And anytime someone would come to him and say, when are you getting married? He would say, only the father knows. Right? Because if it was in the fiance's time frame, it would have been like tomorrow. Right? But only the father knows. So he only the father understood how long it took to prepare for the wedding and for the marriage and everything that was going to be necessary. And so usually after about nine months, then one day there would be clamoring and there would be movement throughout the city and there would be this big movement of people through and they would come and the, and the bride and her bridegrooms were to be prepared and ready so that whenever that moment came, it was usually at night, they would come through town and they'd be clamoring, hey, today is the day for this family to become one. And they would go before the bride. Anyway, it's a whole other message. How y'all doing? Good. Sometimes, you know, music inspires and reminds us of Scripture and theology. Good, good songs, no matter how old or how new, can inspire that. So this morning I've been thinking about that and thinking about, hey, Christmas is here. And it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? How many of you have been distracted by buying presents and looking over the list and deciding who's naughty or nice? You've been there, done that, all right? Yeah. It's, it's extremely easy. So we've been talking about these last few weeks. This is really this whole last few weeks coming out of Thanksgiving into Christmas is a great season for us to be reminded of coming to worship and what our faith is like and what our faith is about. And so for me even, you know, we've been doing this racked thing in this last few weeks and just hearing the stories of what that is and sharing that. And people are kind of giggle whenever you say racked and which is part of the fun. It's memorable, right? You want to you wanna be able to do that. But hearing students and, and young children going out and doing things and, and adults, young and old, being faithful to people, even this week just hearing stories of how people are saying, listen, I'm looking outside of myself and looking for opportunities to worship God through being generous. Last week we looked at this idea of coming to worship and the idea of living out of our wealth. And to think about, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy for us to look at what we don't have and begin to look at those around us and begin to say, hey, look look at their standard of living or look what they have and begin to say, oh, woe is me and look at what I don't have. And so that if we really truly take a global look at the wealth that we have as Americans, begin to say, listen, there are different standards of living, but our standard here, even when we struggle at times, is still much better than everyone else, most other people in the world. So just to take a moment and just worship and thank God for the wealth and the things that He's given you, your family, your friends, all that. So have you ever been in those seasons where you're in a blessed life, where everything just seems to be rolling, and it's real easy when everything seems to be going your way to just give praise to God and say, God, hey, you're on my side, I'm on your side, I'm rolling with you. Or maybe you're in that season or been in that season where it's just kind of like, eh, I'm going through the motions. You're kind of doing life. There's nothing really exciting there. There's nothing kind of nothing really dragging you down, but you're just kind of going through the motions of the day and it's enough to get up and you come home and you do your thing and nothing really exciting. Or maybe you've been in or are in that season where life is just extremely 
difficult. Where it is difficult to get up. It is difficult to have relationships and to do life with different people. This morning I want us to think about this idea of coming to worship. And that in coming to worship there are going to be moments where life is going to be painful. Life will be messy. If we're not perfect people then we're going to make bad decisions or things are going to happen in life that, that are just outside of our control. And so even in those circumstances... For those of us that say that we are followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, students of Jesus, even in those messy moments, take the opportunity to push through pain to praise. To push through the pain in our life to praise. Because there are going to be those moments where life just does not add up to the way that we want it to add up. For instance, Becky and I, a few years ago, life was rolling along good. At a great place, serving. God was doing incredible things in the ministry, and kids were coming to know Christ. We're seeing families, and just, just a great time. I was in seminary, or as those that have been to seminary call it cemetery, and uh, we were plugging along doing that, and it was great times at the church, and all those different things are going on, and so we're just, life is great. And it's amazing how when everything is all of a sudden just this seemingly great, kind of sometimes the carpet gets pulled out from under you, and how you come crashing down. So all those things are going well, and in the midst of that, we're about to have a child. And how exciting that is. I remember when she came to me and said, hey, man, Chris, we're, this is our first one. And we're like, yeah, this is in the plans. God's like blessed our plans. You know, we do that too. And so we're excited about that. And so I've, every night I would go and get to the belly, and I'd go, Luke, I am your father. You know, and I was like, I had the name, and we're all, it didn't matter who it was. I was just, I was in there. I was excited. As excited as a father can be, and and I can't imagine what it's like for you as ladies to to have this God-ordained, sovereign body growing inside of you, but but it's got to be a magical experience. But for me, I was just there like, Luke, I am your father, and I'd already, you know, excited about what all that was, and just like hugging him and saying, you are, you're awesome, you're great. And then at like 12 weeks, it changed. The excitement and anticipation stopped. And we went to the doctor and realized that we went from a season of, man, this is awesome, to, man, this stinks. And so literally we scheduled a doctor's appointment, went through all the necessary doctor's appointments, went to the doctors and did the things that we needed to do, and within... Basically, within 12 hours, I was even off on a mission trip with students. Life was moving on. And so here I am with about 40 high school students. And I'm trying to do ministry with them and pretend that that my life is in in upheaval. My wife is back home and she's in, in her pain and I'm in my pain. And we're trying to strive through this and continue to do life. And that is what life is about so many times is that... You just got to, those things that everybody just says, it's just a roadblock. But man, that stuff stinks. And you hit those rock bottom moments. And and as a Christian, you're just like, God, why are you doing this? And in the midst of that trip, just kind of working through that stuff and talking to to different people and different friends. And one moment, I'm just sharing that with my students. Like, listen, I'm looking at my high school students and saying, listen, I don't want to be here with you. My heart is not here with you but I'm here 
and I want you to help me walk through this. And so at the end of the week, we'd, we'd done some different things and some cool stuff. And at the end of the week, we're out on the beach in Newport News, Virginia. As, as the sun's coming down, and we're literally just at a time of just talking, expressing what's going on, what God's been doing in the hearts of everyone. And to see almost 40 students worship in a way that they are down on their faces, spread across the beach at Newport News, down on their faces. Some of them are truly just flat out on their face, face in, and the water's wrapping up over them, and they're just like, God, I cannot imagine anything but you. And for me in that moment, it was like, God, I can see your activity and that allowed me to kind of push through that pain. It's still, some days it's still as fresh as ever, okay? But to push through that pain to that praise and say, God, I remember your faithfulness. Time after time after time, you have proven yourself faithful. Do I understand it? No. Will I ever understand it? Probably not. Do I have to like it? No. But here's the beautiful thing is that all throughout Scripture and in particular Psalms, David gives us a great image of us in our humanity struggling with this thing called life and trying to figure out how God can love us and still allow us to walk through some of the most difficult things that we could ever imagine. And here's what I do know is that in that moment I was closer to him than maybe I've ever been. And it took darkness to drive me to my knees, to drive me to that place of saying, listen, God, even in the darkest of times, you are present with me and I can walk with you because I know that I know that I know that you are there. Right? You've been in those places to move us from darkness to light. If you have your Bibles, look with me. I'm going to, Duncan, I'm going to skip around, man. I've already changed what's happening. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be going back and forth through Psalms as you can kind of see how David pours out his heart before God that pushed through those things. Difficult times in life afford us opportunities either to clam up, to run away, or to run to Him and to run to others that know how to do life with Him. This word intimacy is a word that's taking on a bad rap. I mean, we hear the word intimacy these days. It, it generally means something totally opposite of what intimacy. Whenever I hear the word intimacy, here's what I've been taught. Here's what I understand Scripture to teach is intimacy to mean. This intimacy, intimacy is this. In to me, see. In to me, see. See, the longer that I go and in my relationship with my wife, the longer that we do life together, the deeper into me, into my character and my desires and who I am and what makes me tick, she gets to see. Into me, see. That means there's vulnerability in that. That is, we do life with people that we're in, in a one-on-one relationship or one three groups, whatever. The longer we do relationships together, the more that we kind of pull back the veil on who we are. You get to see each other a little bit more. Even yesterday, we had a great day cleaning and doing some stuff around here. And several of us went to lunch afterwards. And it was great just hanging around at lunch. Why? Because at lunch, food happens, right? And everybody loves food. And whenever food breaks out, people begin to just tell stories about themselves and they let down their guard. And I know stuff about people that, I mean, it would be great sermon material. 
right? But we do life together. And as we do life, you kind of just pull back that veil and say, listen, this is who Chris really is. This is who we really are. And it's the beauty of what intimacy is. Uh, let's, Psalm 62. David here's talking and he's in a difficult time. And so here it is, verse 5. It says this. Let all that I am quietly wait before God. That's difficult for us, isn't it? To wait and to hear and to listen. For my hope is in Him. It's easy for us to get distracted where our hope can be in our job, our hope can be in our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our hope can be in our grades, our hope can be in whatever else. But when we go through those difficult times in life, we begin to understand that our hope is in nothing else but in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, right? If our lives are built upon a solid foundation, that solid foundation is faith in Jesus Christ. And He is our salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and my honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him. For God is a God of refuge. This idea of, of refuge, there were cities of refuge. There were Levitical cities that if you did something in particular, if you accidentally killed someone, and I don't know that, how that would happen, but that was one of the deals. If you accidentally killed someone, there were cities, six cities in particular, that you could run to. And you run to those cities, and those cities would take you in, and it would be a refuge. And as long as you stayed within those confines of that city, you were safe. This was your place of refuge. So you made a mistake, you run to the city, and now you know this is where I live, this is where I reside, this is my safe place. As children, did you ever have a safe place? Yeah, where do you run to? Some of you, you run and you hide underneath the covers, right? Nothing can get to you. Some of you, you run and you hide underneath the bed. In my world, that's where the monsters live, so I didn't go underneath there. Okay, because even at night, I couldn't hang my arm over because they could get me and pull me under. Some of you, it's your closet. You run to your closet and you hide and you close the door. You have these places of refuge. It's this idea that no one can get to you. Here's what God's saying. Listen, I, I, have, I am your refuge. When life is and you need a place to run and you need a place literally to rest and to let everything else just kind of fade away, run to me and rest in me and know that the foundation that I provide for you cannot get pulled under from out from underneath you in those moments. We all need places of refuge. As adults, maybe those places aren't. Those places of refuge aren't places anymore. Maybe for some of you are. Maybe it's the golf course. Maybe it's the garage. Maybe it's the sewing kit, whatever that may be, that it's a place where you kind of go and you just kind of to get away from everything. But for most of us as adults, as we grow up, it's not about a place, but it's about people. That we run to people as our places of refuge. And that I pray and that I hope that for many of you that you've found someone here or you're in the process of finding someone here or a group here, that whenever 2 a.m. and life is happening, that you can call that person and say, hey, here's where I'm at. Will you, will you help me? Or maybe it's in the middle of the day and you're struggling with something and that temptation that's yours, you call up and say, hey, listen, I'm struggling. And they go, I got you. I got you. 
That's what it means for us. This biblical idea of running to and finding a place of refuge is that we're to do life together and that there's not Levitical cities of refuge anymore, but there should be some people and some people that we have do life and understand the direction in which our life is going and the purpose for our life that we can run to them and say, listen, here's where I'm at. Here's my struggles. I need some place to be a place of refuge. I need protection in this moment. I need you to help me protect my heart and guard my heart and be able to be a safe place that you can pour out what you're going through and what you're struggling with as David did all throughout the Psalms. If you've never read through it, read through it and just see that David did this like many of us in the seasons of life. And there were those moments where when David was struggling the most and most of the time it was because of his own dumb choices, had to cry out and say, God, I remember when. I remember when in those seasons, these places of refuge. Coming to worship, whenever we think of that idea, so many times we think of Sunday morning, that we're going to gather here on Sunday at 10.30 or whatever, and we're going to hear a few songs. We might sing a few songs. Some of the songs we might like, some of them we might not. We're going to hear a message. We might like the message. We might not like it. You're going to go to the country club. You're going to go to lunch, and you're going to critique all of it. All right? And so this, this idea of coming to worship does not equal singing songs and hearing a nice, wrapped-up, packaged message. As a matter of fact, this may be one of the last things of what worship is. Worship is doing life together at work, at your family, at school, at all these other places, and being in messiness so that whenever you come to this place, you're celebrating what God has allowed you to do throughout the week. That's what worship is, is giving God glory and sharing His worth everywhere we go. Being Jesus. Pour out your heart and remember God's faithfulness. Look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Some of you know part of this verse. This is this idea of pouring out your heart to God and remembering His faithfulness in the past. As the deer longs for streams of water... So I long for you. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? Day and night I only have tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? You ever feel like that? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. Have you ever had this discussion with some of you we talked about that listen as as great a place as lagrange is it's not mayberry anymore and so we remember back to what it used to be and listen we can remember back and those are great things and there's some good things about the past that we need to engage in and really be thinking about and one of those main things is that the home is the central place of where we pass on our faith okay but listen the sheriff the new sheriff in town is not going to be andy griffith And the new sheriff in town is dealing with totally different issues than they dealt with in Mayberry. So we can remember the past, but we also have to be realistic about what's happening even today. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among a crowd of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks, amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise Him again, my Savior, my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I remember you. 
Even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the, the land of Mount Mazar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me. And through each night, this is the dark time, not literally night, but the darkness of your soul, I sing His songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. But it's in those moments of darkness, the soul nights, that He brings back those memories of good times and of the light that He has for us. Think back to those moments where He lifted sin. Maybe for some of you, again, to be amazed by the grace of that moment when you said yes to Jesus and the peace that passes understanding and what that meant for you. Those moments of answered prayer where you've literally been on your face and your knees and you the only thing that could feed you were your own tears and you're crying out and you're saying, God, I need something. I need an intervention from you. I need more than what I can provide. I need more than what anyone else can provide. And you're totally dependent upon Him and He showed up. Or maybe for some of you, even recently, you've been healed. Or you're in the process of being healing and that what that means for you. Maybe there was even some time, one day, there was a message that you heard a preacher preach and it just touched your heart, it touched your soul, and it was that moment that you're sitting in worship and you're like, God, they are talking to me. Those are those moments. Remember when. I remember when I was on a beach. I was about 14 years old and I was on one of my first mission trips away from home and I was there and I was talking. One of our agendas for that day was just to go out on the beach and play and hang out and throw the football and get to know some people. And I remember that moment when I was in a faith discussion with a young man who was about my age and we were talking life and he was going through a difficult time and I was like, holy moly, this guy's about to accept Jesus, right? And so what did I do? I went and told my youth pastor. <laughs> I was like, hey, Ken, 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 this kid's ready to accept Jesus. And he's like, well, what are you doing over here? And so I was like, oh, yeah. And so I ran over there. I was like, dude, and went through that whole thing and to see this young man for the first time to be able to lead someone to Christ on a beach in Florida. And to remember when, God, you are still using this frail person to change lives. I remember that moment. When I come back from camp after my senior year, and again, life is good. You've graduated, you're moving on, you've got exciting things. And one of my best friends I'd done life with for a long time, as a matter of fact, we were actually, all throughout high school, we were stretching buddies. We just ended up that way. So before the games and before practice, you know, you got guys out there, football, they're stretching each other, working together, talking. So, man, we, we had intimate conversations. Okay, when you're stretching someone else, you're close and talking, and you know that they smell or they don't smell and all that. Football pads do stink, okay? And so we're doing life, and Trey and I are talking, and we had some great faith discussions along the way, and Trey was one of these guys who had everything together. If there was ever the coolest guy, it was Trey. And um, went to church but never knew Jesus, and I knew that, and never crossed that threshold with him of saying, Trey, you're a great guy, you go to church, you do all this different stuff, but you don't know Jesus. I never crossed that path with him because we were two good friends. 
The week after I come back from graduation and going to camp, the week after my friends, my my uh, parents' phone, we didn't have cell phones even then, my parents' phone begins to just blow up. My friend Trey was killed. Head on in Luling. And here I am, two weeks out of high school, everything before me, and I know that God's called me to ministry, and I know that in this moment for Trey, I didn't do what I needed to do. And not that it was completely on me, there were others, but I mean, I knew what my relationship was, and after two weeks of high school, here I am, I'm looking at his casket. And I'm looking at all my friends as we walk before Trey, and I'm going, God, I pray this never happens again. So that's one of the driving forces for me is to never leave a conversation undone. If they or someone is ready to say yes to Jesus, to never leave that undone. I remember when, I remember when even 18 months ago, I was in Starbucks with a guy that's about 42 years old. Teacher, great man, has a master's degree, good guy. And he looked at me and he says, Chris, I want to leave my wife. I want to leave my little girl. Everything I've dreamed about, I want to, I want to be done with it. And he said, but I got one more thing I want to try before I do it. And I was like, what's that? And he says, it's Jesus. This Jesus that you've been talking about on Sunday. And said, so, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Three years later, Matt Wolf leads a small group in West Virginia. Seeing his people, even in his small group, come to know Jesus. And him sharing, hey, this person, this person, this person. And seeing how radically different his family is. I remember when, every time I pull up his page, I'm like, man, that's awesome, God, that you brought him to that place. I remember when moving pain to praise. Pour out your heart and trust God. Find a place of refuge. This morning, I'm going to invite someone up. Some of you may know her. Some of you may not. But I want her to come up and just share a little bit of her testimony about how God's moved her from pain. Come on up, Maribel. From pain to some praise. Tissue, come on up. Yeah, wherever you are. Thank you. Good morning. Um, my name's Maribel. I don't know if a lot of you might know me, might not. Uh, <laughs> I've been here for almost 30 years here in LaGrange. I work for Walmart. I've been with Walmart 13 years. And God has done amazing things uh, to me, with me, and been with me all this time. I've gone through cancer, fought cancer uh, in 2009. Recently, about four or five months ago, they had wanted me to go do a MRI because they saw more growing. So I did. Did what they wanted me to do and went to the doctor and they did all this like ASAP. They wanted it done, so I got it done. But Monday and Tuesday, I had to go back to Austin. Got to the doctor and he said, nothing's there. You know? That means a lot to me because I have another struggle that I'm supposed to go through. And that's raising my grandkids. I have ten grandkids. And uh, y'all prayers and the people that have been there for me, which is Deandra. I love Deandra wherever she's at. 
Mr. Ladd and Marianne Ladd, Mr. and Mrs. Peck, and all your prayers that mean so much to me and to my family and to my grandkids. I don't know what I would have done without Jesus. I, I really don't know. It's been a struggle um, for me to get to where I'm at now and humbling myself to where I am at now. Because before it was like, it was hard for me to ask or, or um, to ask anybody for help. But Jesus always has a plan. And he knows when and how and uh, he's done so much in my life and uh, and the people that know me and, and know who I am uh, know what I've been through and how hard it was for me. But he got me through and uh, he got me to where I'm at today right now. And by his grace, by his mercy that I am here and I thank each and one of you that, that said a prayer and continue praying please for my son Adrian for my daughter-in-law Monica and for my grandchildren and I love you all thank you so much for hearing me Ten grandchildren, that's enough right there, right? It's a blessing. She's, she's actually taking care of some of her grandchildren. She didn't mention that, but that's a part of her, her season right now. And so I know that even as you thank some specific people, we know and understand that there are other people that have come alongside and helped them and helped you, and we would, we would be here till Wednesday of next week saying thank you. And so what, that, what she's saying to you as a community is, listen, you've helped me push through pain to give praise. And we're in a season where it's some difficult things. And so if you've ever lost a loved one or you've been in some difficult things, this is a season that's, for whatever reason, is one of the most difficult as people gather together with their families and we kind of reflect on things. And so I, I, I'm just, we're asking you, we're praying for you and saying, listen, we understand that there's some deep pains during this time. Remember when. Remember when God has been faithful. Remember those times. Seek out someone in this church, someone in your life group, someone in your Sunday school class. And, and, and share that with them and allow them to walk with you in that. Do not try to do this on your own and alone. We are the image of God together in doing community together. And what I've loved over these last few months is people coming to me and saying, Chris, I love the people of Second Baptist Church, that there is a heart here that I don't see anywhere else, of people quietly behind the scenes taking care of the needs of people within the church and within the community and no one ever knowing. And to me, that's the image of God saying, listen, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Serve others, not for the glory of you, but for the glory of him. And then move him forward. Push through the pain to praise him. Would you stand with me as we pray together this morning? Father God, this is a season of celebration. and of gathering of families, and of hope. We look forward to the coming of baby Jesus because we understand that his life 
lived a great purpose. And that was giving of Himself on a cross, on a tree. So that we could receive the greatest gift that's ever been offered. So Father, thank You so much for Your Son, Jesus. For His life, for His birth, and for His death. Father, we thank You that You push us through those difficult seasons. Father, we thank You for the moments that are extreme blessing where it's easy to give gratitude and, and praise to You. But Father, we also give thanks for those difficult moments knowing that it's in those struggles, it's in those times that even then You don't leave us without a little bit of a shadow of a hope, a light at the end of the tunnel to be drawn to, to work toward, and that is the person of Jesus Christ and looking and being more like You. For we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.